So uh, today's topic of uh, marriage and money um, was not in my original plans for this series, but after I preached last week um, on this idea of stewardship and stewarding our lives uh, for God's kingdom, uh, I thought it would be very uh, necessary to walk through this. Um, I'm going to send out resources this week uh, on this stuff, and so... If you want to get those things, uh, text uh, text marriage to this number right here so you don't miss out on any fun stuff I send out this week. It will be great. Um, here are the two verses that are, are going to guide us today. Uh, Jesus has this talk in the Sermon on the Mount um, really uh, about money and about what we trust in. And he talks about looking at the birds in the air and the grass in the field. And he ends with verse 25 with this right here. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. That's a powerful phrase in this day and age, to not worry about your life. Uh, for some reason, um, we're in one of the most affluent places in the history of the world, yet we live in constant worry about finances, right? Um, so he says, don't worry, but to be content is the phrase I'm looking for right here. And then it ends in, in verse 33 with this right here, but seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Seek his kingdom first, then all these things will come. We get it backwards. We, we seek the things first, and then his kingdom is kind of second. So here, here, is, the, here is the heart today, what I'm hoping we, as we talk about our marriages, we talk about money, there's one phrase that we would be content kingdom seekers. We'd be content kingdom seekers. I think too many times we are um, discontent consumers many times, right? We, we don't have and we want, so we live this kind of like unfulfilled life. We're seeking the wrong things. And this is what really a Jesus marriage looks like, right? Is that we together are moving together in this way to be content and to seek his kingdom first. So for us to kind of walk in that, we have to kind of get to lay the land. And there is in this sense, we're all wired differently in this room. In your marriage, you're probably wired differently. And so there's really four different uh, money personalities that I stole from this book. Uh, a great book I would encourage you to read. I put it in the resources. It's the one by Art Rayner on um, Kingdom Marriage or something like that. It's a really good practical book. If you have time, pick it up. It'd be very helpful for you and your marriage. But the, the four personalities, the first personality is the spender. To help you maybe know where you're at today in, in, your, in your household. There is the spender. This person loves to swipe. They, they just love it. They go to the store, they see this, they see that. They love to spend money. Now, there are some strengths here. Uh, this person is normally a very good and loving gift giver. Like, they're the ones who think months in advance about what to get this person they love for a birthday, for anniversary, uh, for Christmas, or a special occasion. That's a great thing. This person also, sometimes the purchase needs to be made. 
And there's some people that just don't want to make that purchase. Like, they're just like, I can't do it. And you need that person, you need that spender to say, we're going we're gonna to go on this vacation. Uh, we're going to get this. We're, we're going to do this thing right there. But I will say, there are definitely weaknesses here for the spender. Uh, the spender can many times uh, hurt the budget, right? They can erode the bank account, and they're prone to debt. And many times, they're prone to being a consumer where they want to um, just buy and buy and buy, right? So that's one personality type. Second, you have the saver. You have the saver. This person gets excited when the savings account is going up, up, up. They check the retirement account every single day. They want to look at it. They want to know. They're normally a planner. Um, all these, their strengths are... Um, most times this is like the most celebrated, like financial type, right? Like your guys like Ramsey and these, they love this person right here, the saver. They make good financial choices. They pay off debt. They save. Um, but they can go to unhealthy extremes, right? Where it becomes almost like hoarding or even hoping in that savings account. And sometimes they, they are so against spending, they won't enjoy the things that God gives them, right? Like they're so tight, they want to stay in a tent, not a hotel, right? When God has blessed you with the money to go stay in a hotel. Or, or maybe you like a tent, I have no idea. Whatever you want to do, you do you. But, um, and they view money many times based on fear, on, on what could happen, this type. Third is the investor. This is the one who likes to take the risk. They see the upside in the investment. They are the entrepreneur. They are the adventurer. All those kind of things, right? This is not me. Um, but here's their strength. Investors invest. They see what could be through the investment. They do what's necessary to grow income for later. They're optimistic. They tend to live on faith that God will provide, God will do this. But sometimes they can get carried away with the allure of higher returns. Sometimes their confidence can turn to overconfidence and they become reckless. Or they try to do too many things, right? The investor. Oh, I did this. Uh, and fourth and last is the ignore. The ignore. This is the head in the sand. It's the ostrich, right? Like, I don't want to know, la, 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 Don't tell me. They don't even check the bank account. Like, they swipe and they hope. Um, their strengths there, here is they're willing to trust others. Like, they're willing to trust others. Um, they do not get in these arguments all the time about money with their spouse. They're like, okay, you do the, you do the money, I'll stay over here. Um, full disclosure, this is my wife exactly. Uh, we got married. She's like, here you go. Here you go. And so, um, now the weaknesses here, many times they're unaware of their financial standing. And in a marriage, what happens a lot of times is by avoiding smaller arguments, because it's being ignored, it can lead to that like one really big argument that can lead to divorce, right? We never talk about it. One day you realize, oh, we're all this in debt. We haven't talked about it. It leads to this huge disconnect in a marriage. And so I think the key is just to know, which one are you? You don't have to answer right now, but in your mind or as you're talking with your spouse later, 
which one are you? It is so helpful to know kind of what are you prone to in your relationship. And so I, I am probably a, a, a saver slash spender, which makes no sense. Um, and my wife is an ignorer slash spender. No one invests in our household. So we're just going to be at 65, it's over. And so, um, but no matter where you are today, as far as personality, there's four goals I want to walk through. As far as we think about stewarding and seeking his kingdom first in our marriages, our money. First, first goal here would be to live sacrificially. Would be to live sacrificially. I think we start here because we can get practical. And we, we're going to get practical. But if we don't start here, our money is inherently about us, right? But biblically and just functionally, our money is not ours, is it? It's not our own. It's God's. What prevents this goal most times? Just real hard word here. Selfishness. Selfishness prevents us living sacrificially. But this is one of the gifts of marriage. Because in marriage, we are now one, right? And our oneness and our covenant is inherently unselfish. The way it's supposed to be, right? Our marriage union is literally a step and an aid to living a generous life. Because you're forced to what? Share. You're forced to think about the other. You're forced, in a sense, doing it the right way, to be selfless. A me-centric attitude, it tears at the very heart of a marriage. But how do we move from selfish to selfless in our finances, in our marriage? So here are some signs of selfishness. First sign of selfishness, you don't compromise. Conversations about money are very, very one-sided. You argue until you get your way. You're always thinking that your spouse's desires are either unreasonable or uninformed. Oh, man. If you don't get your way, you make sure that your teammate feels your unhappiness. Second sign. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? You blame. When something goes wrong, your spouse is your target. Money problem. Oh, it's their fault. They spend too much. Or they don't do this. You find yourself blaming your spouse for your frustration and disappointment. You struggle to accept responsibility for your own actions. Third sign, you take that it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission approach. You don't ask about a purchase because you don't want the answer you don't want. You don't want input from your teammates. Fourth sign, you hide purchases. Not only do you av avoid your spouse's input, but you try to make sure they do not have to even know what's happening. So you have to ask forgiveness. You just do what you want to do. You have a secret account, secret card, use cash. You're hiding from your spouse. Fifth sign, you're impatient with money decisions. You don't want to wait for the house. You don't want to wait for, for this vacation. You, you just don't want to wait you want it right now. Last, you pride yourself on being independent. You pride yourself on being self-sufficient. But that's not God's design for our marriage, guys. Independence and oneness do not mix well. They don't mix at all, actually. 
Rich marriages are dependent marriages, interdependent. Each teammate depends on the other. Each teammate needs the other. Marriages are a gift to help us use our kingdom resources in great ways. Very practically, very functionally, marriage is a great financial investment, right? Because you go from one income many times to two incomes. Uh, The problem in the West is that we've taken this and we've used it not for kingdom reasons, but for selfish reasons, right? If we're honest, we have built bigger barns and not invested in the kingdom many times. So how do we cultivate selflessness? If that can be our heart, if we're prone to that, if we are, let's be honest, we are marketed that kind of life. Even in marriages, the secular world tells you that your money is yours, that you do you, all these things, right? So that's the world we're living in. How do we cultivate a heart that rebels against culture, rebels against the propaganda that we're told on how we should use our money? First thing, we focus on the holiness of God. We focus on the holiness of God. Friends, we're called to be set-apart people. The way we spend money in our marriages should look different than the rest of the world. Holy means set apart or sacred. He is set apart because he is perfect. He is without sin. God cannot be in the presence of sin. By focusing on his holiness, you can't help but consider your lack of perfection. We're all humbled right in the face of God's holiness. And it's only by his grace that we are considered right before a holy God. So we start first with the holiness of God, and we let it put us in its proper place, and then we live on the basis of grace. Second, we remember who God defines as the greatest. In God's kingdom, everything is flipped on its head. The first or last, the last or first. We serve a God who exalts the humble. When we chase after after selfish desires, we move ourselves further to the back of the line. And isn't that, it's that counterintuitive way of God's kingdom, right? Where the world says, go, move, consume, get ahead, do this, do that. God says, no, no, be patient, be humble, be slow. Next reason, next way to do this. Consider your place in the universe. You, me, us, we are one of more than 7 billion humans on the earth. We live on a little rock that revolves around one of potentially septillion or so stars in the universe. And we have a God that made him all with his voice. Friends, we are very, very small. We are very, very small. Next, reflect on your need for God every single day. God, give us this day our daily bread. Every day, return to him as the source of your life, your income, your daily bread. Next, use your words to encourage your spouse and teammates. Identify the good you see in them as they spend money. As maybe they're a spender. Identify how they give good gifts. Maybe they're a saver. Identify how you thank them for having a savings account. Maybe they're an investor. Identify that great investment. 
If they're an ignore, identify their trust in you. Whatever it is, identify the best in your spouse. Next, listen. Often we are quick to tell others how we feel. We want to share our opinions all the time. But those who are humble learn to listen before speaking. Listen to your spouse. Last, pray. Pray. We are cultivating a selfless heart. So we go to the source and we pray and spend one-on-one time with the God of the universe. Talk to him. Ask him to reveal the selfishness in your heart. Ask him to align your heart with his heart, to make his ways your your ways. So selfish to selfless. But, But practically, how do we start actually doing this? First, we just need to start giving. The first way to start living sacrificially is we need to start giving something. If you're giving nothing, move to giving something. Randy Alcord says this, Giving is a giant lever positioned on the fulcrum of the world, allowing us to move mountains in the next world. Because we give, eternity will be different for others and for us. Friends, as Christians, as people that are following Jesus, we are called to give because he gave everything to us. So four principles for giving. First principle, giving must be a priority. It must be a priority. Listen, we are given resources so that we can give resources. This means we give of our first fruits, not as an afterthought, not what is left over. There's just literal commitment that we make to say the first of what we give, what we get belongs to God because it's all God's money. Second principle, giving is to be done proportionally. This means that those who have more will give more, and those who have less give less. Your giving should be proportional to what you have been given. Now, you've heard, I'm sure, if you've been in church, all this phrase of a tithe. A tithe means 10%. One of the most well-known verses on this is Malachi 3.10. It says, bring a full tenth into the storehouse so there may be food in my house, says the Lord of the armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. So does this mean that like 10% is this magic number? If we give this, God will open everything up for us. Um, Probably not. And there's much debate around if 10% is this magic number for giving. And we're not going to get in the weeds with that today. Nevertheless, it, it, it does give people a good place to start. Here is a suggestion. If you're not currently giving 10% of your gross income, make it your goal to do so. If you're already giving 10%, make it your goal to grow in your percentage that you are giving. Because for some of us, 10% is something, it's just a box checked in our lives, right? We just do this, don't think about it, and we move on from there. When this happens, we miss out on how God would work in and through us if we pushed our giving into that sacrificial zone. So in this book, um, Rainer recommends this thing called the takeoff. If you're not giving proportionally right now, he kind of gives this method for how to start doing this. I think it's very helpful. Here's how it looks. Months one through three, it's how to kind of get started. Give 1% of your income. If you're not doing this right now, months one through three, give 1% of your income. And then months four through six, 
give 3% of your income. Then months 7 through 9, give 5% of your gross income. Months 10 through 11, give 7% of your income. And month 12, give 10% of your income. This would help us take steps in towards growing our giving proportionally. Third principle of giving. Giving is to be done sacrificially. We should give unto others, and it should, in a sense, hurt. That we should sacrifice something to give towards God's kingdom. In God's economy, he says, amount sacrificed always supersedes amount given. God delights in us not when we give, necessarily, it's out of the abundance, but out of sacrifice when we give. This means our giving should cause some level of discomfort. That we should sacrifice something to bless others, right? And listen, there is so, sometimes what happens is we are paralyzed by the amount of need in the world, right? We can go on social media for five minutes, or turn on the news for five minutes, and the need in the world is overwhelming. But there is this sense that we're called to do something. We can't do everything, but we're called to do something. And there's this phrase that we should do for one what we wish we could do for all. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. So you can't fix world hunger, can you? You can't. But you can help feed one family, right? So there is this sense. But to do that, many times we have to sacrifice something so that we can't do this. Fourth principle for giving. Giving is to be done cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. While God does delight in sacrificial giving, he does not delight in miserable giving. Like, it's not this, ugh, got to give all this money to, to God and his kingdom. That's not what God's after, friends. He is after our hearts. And he is highly aware of what money does to our hearts. And so we, we give us this as an act of worship, freely, with joy. There is this overwhelming blessing that we get from doing that. This is, is this true in your life? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Is that true for you? It's been true for me for sure. But we forget that so much. There is this spiritual practice of giving that cultivates a heart for God. It cultivates becoming a cheerful giver. So that's our first principle, our first goal with our money. Second goal is to live on a budget. So we live sacrificially. That's how we, we start on this, that our money is God's money. Second, friends, if we're going to steward our resources, if we're going to live as content kingdom seekers, this is real boring. It is. But guys, we got to live on a budget. Now, what prevents us living on a budget in a marriage? A key one. Poor communication. Poor communication kills a budget in a marriage, and I have lived this myself. So three keys to overcoming bad financial communication. Getting practical now. First key in this, change your language. Change your language. This is especially important for newlyweds. 
go from mine to ours, from my money to our money. The words I, me, mine, yours is gone. It's gone. It's ours. It's we. It's us. It's our. We have to change our language. Language matters. This is our money to steward. We will be held in account for how we steward our money. So first step, to change your language. Second key, develop a budget together. Do this together. I'll never forget, this is our first year of marriage, and we're trying to do this, me and Tracy, um, and we're brilliant at it. And, like, we, we would always get in fights um, about, like, well, she spent this, well, I spent that, and I'm like, well, I don't want to tell you no to this. And I was talking with a friend, and he said, this is why you have a budget, because a budget says no for you, right? Like, so the question is, well, can, I, can we do this this month? Well, what does the budget say? I'm not saying no to anything. Well, the budget says no, so I'm sorry, we can't do this, right? A budget helps. A budget is simply a plan. That's all that it is. It's a plan for how to steward your money. So here's a few steps for this. First, determine your, determine your goals. Determine your goals. What are your giving goals? What are your saving goals? What are your debt goals? You got to determine your goals, like your big picture. What are we trying to accomplish this month, this year, next five years, next 10 years? Here's the key. You got to talk to each other. You got to talk to each other about what you hope to see God do through your resources. Second step, determine your monthly income. This is pretty simple. What do you make? Now, if you're in sales and it fluctuates, what's the average for the past six months? But you need to know, what are you bringing in each month? What's coming in to the account each month? Second, determine your monthly expenses. This is, this is all very basic, but it's all very needed. If we don't do this, we're not going to know what we're spending, what we're doing. So how much your house note? What are you spending on groceries? What are you spending on going out, on, on this, on that? Who has, you know, camp coming up? You know, we're talking about this summer, me and Tracy were, and that bill's getting high, guys. Two kids, old enough for camp stuff. I'm like, oh, where's those free VBSs at? I want to do those instead because camps get expensive. And, um, but you have to talk about those things. You have to plan for those things. If not, it's going to be a problem. So after you determine your goals, uh, your income, and your expenses, here is the hard one, the fourth one. Adjust your expenses to fit your income. This is where, like, you start slashing. <laughs> <laughs> this is the budget cuts. Oh, no, we can't do that. I thought we could. No, nope, can't do that. Well, this was, you know, I text uh, Courtney uh, plans uh, Disney vacations, all kind of vacations, and does a great job. Plug for Courtney. If y'all need a vacation, go see Courtney. Um, she's phenomenal. I'm serious. Um, a few months ago, me and Tracy were talking like, you know what, we should – we should try to do Disneyland in the next year or so. And, you know, I text Courtney and got the, got the numbers and like, oh, that could be reasonable. And then, like, we meet the next day about this uh, Above Beyond initiative. And like, oh, we can't do that now. Like, that, that's gone. Because here's, here's the deal, friends. God has allotted a certain amount of money to all of us. No one here is Jeff Bezos. Nobody here is. Um, and so we have to, so that means we have to say no to some things so that 
we can bless others. We have to say no so that we can bless others. We have to say no so that we're not beholden to debt, right? Because what happens is we want to bless others and do the fun things, but then debt comes, right? Sometimes we just have to say no. That's that important. We have to adjust our expenses. And I normally do good at all these steps to this next step right here. Track your spending. Oh, I hate this. Because this is when like, the, like it gets real. Like, oh, I love Whataburger. <laughs> you know, you start seeing the reality of your, of, your, of your spending stewardship habits. We must track our spending and, and see where they're off, where, where our budget is and where reality is and where some more fun conversations must happen. So that's kind of how we develop our, our budgets, right? And listen, if you're here and that's new for you, you might need help with that, and that's okay, because this will probably cause a fight the first five times you do this. It, it probably will. Um, and so have someone that you know and you trust help you walk through this. So uh, first key, change your language. Second key, develop a budget together. Third key, have a monthly check-in. At least, um, I would say weekly, but I'm going to give you monthly. A monthly, this sounds boring, budget meeting for your family. Where you check the status, where you check the spending. You check your status, how it's going, what's going well, what's not working. Yes. Tracy hates it. She hates it. And so um, that's, it's, always, it's always, and we both spend differently in bad ways, right? Like, um, I, I won't tell you what we spend the money on, but um, <laughs> it's too embarrassing. And, um, but we both have our things that we come and talk. We're like, oh, yeah, we got to get better at that. And um, so we want to see how we're doing. We want to inform on big purchases. Because here's the deal. Every month, something new is coming, isn't it? Every month, there's a new thing. So this month is what? Easter, right? So Tracy wants to buy the kids um, uh, Easter outfits for some reason. I don't know why. She wants to. And that's fine. But we've got to talk about that. That's going to be $100, right? We're not made of money. No Jeff Bezos in our household. So we've got to talk about, okay, if we do this, that means we're not doing this, right? So we discuss these things. And we look ahead. Next month. This summer, like I said, we were talking even yesterday about, okay, we're going to kids camp. Uh, Connor wants to do Code Ninja camp. Hayes wants to do this camp. You know, okay, that's $1,000 right there. You know, it's gone. So that's fine. But that means we can't do this, this, and this. Thankfully, my dad bought a beach house for the beach this summer. So amen to, to good grandparents. <laughs> and so, um, so we'll just mooch off of him. Um, but here's the key. Um, you will not do this perfectly. At least I know no one who does this perfectly, right? But here's my key. Here's the key. Talk about it. Talk about it. Do not surprise and do not lie. Do not surprise and do not lie. And when you do surprise or you do lie, seek forgiveness. Nip it in the bud. There will be a time that you'll make that purchase in the heat of the moment that you know you should not have done. Do not hide. Do not lie. Just tell your spouse. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Because you're a team, you're one, and the enemy is dying to divide us, right? So, all right, I got to hurry here. Um, I got two more. 
I'm going to go fast. So we live sacrificially. We live on a budget. Third, we live on less. We live on less. So I just told you all the ways we have to say no. I was a lot of fun. So how do we live on less? How do we be content? I have nine ways that we can live on less. What? There's, there's more sheets here if you need some more paper. And I will send you all these notes if you want them. Uh, <laughs> this is so idealistic, right? This could be helpful. First way, before you buy something, ask yourself, what is the true cost of this item? So I was having lunch with my sister and mother yesterday, and my sister, um, about a year ago, picked up a stray cat. Um, and we're at lunch, and she spent the entire morning with the cat at the vet. You know, it's a free cat, right? A free cat. And um, I literally spit my drink out when this happened. I, I was like, you spent five hours at the vet? Like, why don't you just put it down? I, I was being dead. It's a cat, guys. Like, here's the deal. Dogs might have souls, right? They might. We don't know that. That's gray area theologically. We know cats don't. No. And, so <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, well, you know, you got to go with the number. Like, if you're going to the, there, we all have a number, don't we, of what our pet's actually worth. And everybody's different. No judgment. She's like, well, I did. She said, my number was $1,000. And I spit my drink out. <laughs> on a cat. And Satan won yesterday. Satan won yesterday with that cat because she spent $965, but she stayed under her number. Before you buy something or get it for free, ask yourself, what is the true cost? If you buy a motorcycle, you're probably going to wreck it. So what does it cost for health bills and to fix a motorcycle? Or at least I would. Second, I got to go, I got to go. Second way to live on less, never impulse buy. And I've got a closet full of impulse buys on dumb, random things, right? Just don't impulse buy. All those tools. All those tools. Um, I so many. My closet's overflowing. Uh, third, we've got to go worship in a second, guys. Third, when you do buy, opt for few better things. Opt for, instead of buying ten cheap things, buy two good things and just let them last for a long time. And listen, don't replace things until they're, they need to be replaced. Like, you know, I, all right, I have 27 button-downs in my house. I don't need 27 button-downs, do I? And so instead of buying more button-downs, just wear what I have. Be content with what we have. Um, next, next way, when you can, share. Uh, so Hayes uh, was an Oompa Loompa at a play a few months ago. Um, and I remember that Ellie was an Oompa Loompa at a play. And so we borrowed the costume from the Allens. And then I found out that they borrowed that from the East. And I know the East didn't buy that. And so, uh, <laughs> and so that's now like a, a, a fifth me down or something of, because who is ever going to need an, a costume like that the rest of their lives, right? That should be borrowed from now into eternity. There are certain things that we should just share and not own. Next thing. Um, that's my next point. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. Get a library card, right? Borrow books. 
if you want to ride a bi- borrow a bicycle for a while until you're b- bored of bicycles, right? Many times we have hobbies for three months, don't we? And we're the entire, so just borrow the hobby from somebody else for a few months. Learn to, to have things without owning them. Next, cultivate a depreciation for creation. Because many times creation is free. A walk in the woods is free. A walk to a park is free. A park is free. Your backyard is not free, but it's free-ish. <laughs> it's already in your bills. <laughs> Learn to just enjoy being outside. Creation, creation is God's gift to us, isn't it? That, I'm, that, I'm talking Dave's language right now. And so, um, but uh, we should enjoy just being outside. Many times our kids don't need more toys. Just tell them to go outside. Find a stick. I feel like an old man right now. Um, cultivate a deep appreciation for simple pleasures. This is coffee in the morning, isn't it? This is a hot shower. To me, this is a car ride by myself. Like 30 minutes in a car by myself is like bliss to me, right? Learn to appreciate the simple things of life. Too many times we move past these simple gifts to go purchase some kind of experience that's really a waste of money. Eighth, recognize advertising for what it is, propaganda. Call out the lie. You do not need all of this crap. We do not need all this stuff. And yet, we are sold this stuff everywhere we go. So see it for what it is. It is propaganda selling us a lie. Last, pray for God to give you a content heart. This is most important. This is first, last, in between. That Pray that God, we live in a world, once again, we're not battling flesh and blood, we're battling with spiritual enemies. That God would give us a heart, spiritual eyes to see the world for what it is, but to give us a content heart. Okay, I'm going to have to email my notes out, the rest on how to live. Uh, next is living debt-free, which is really just uh, the debt snowball method. I will email that to you guys this week. Um, but we got to go worship. And so um, let me pray for us. Um, and uh, I hope today was encouraging. I know it was a lot. Um, if you have thoughts or questions, just let me know. Let's pray.